Welcome to North Bay Christ the King. You're listening to our weekly service message podcast. Join us every Sunday morning at 9.30 and 11 o'clock at our campus location in Birch Bay, Washington. Thank you for tuning in. Healthy, wealthy, and wise, and we shared last week that it was Ben Franklin, it was the one that said, early to bed, early to rise makes a man healthy, wealthy, and wise. Anybody hear that before? How many would say that you maybe have tried to live your life with that? How many you say you're you're an early morning, anybody early morning person? Raise your hand. Okay, that's awesome. You guys are freaks. Good job. No, I'm kidding. Um, Some of you are like, you know, you don't see the crack of noon, but... uh, but there is some wisdom, like I, I, I don't profit much. I don't know about you, but oh, I'm so glad I stayed up for the late, late show when I woke up in the morning. You know, there's, I never really go like, oh, I'm so glad I stayed up late. Like, there's really like, oh, why did I do that, right? With a lot of regrets. And so I think that's a good, that's good practical wisdom. Good old Ben, that's good. Early to bed, early to rise. Makes a man healthy, wealthy, wise. There's something about, you know, conquering the day and going after it. And yet, with healthy, wealthy, wise, if we go and look at our, our world's perspective, kind of the culture, there's a lot of grabbing and getting when we're trying to do that. There's nothing wrong with being aggressive about your life and, and, and taking it with the bull you know, grabbing the bull by the horns, but there is something that we have to be careful of that we're doing in our own power, our own power and even our motivation. And last week we talked about health. Health is so important, even physical health, but we talked about spiritual health and how it's important to be spiritually healthy. And then we think the way God thinks in, the, in his kingdom of, of living healthy lives. And today we're going to look at wealth. And I want you to know as we get into this, I made the first service like really nervous. When you start talking about money in church, everybody's kind of like, whoa, where are you going? I feel like you guys are going to be great, aren't you? Then I don't have to worry about you. The first service, no, they're, they're great. They, there are some moments there today because it, it dives into some areas that sometimes when we talk about money makes us uncomfortable, but we're going to go beyond money today. Money is a big topic with this. But really, and think about what does wealth look like in, in our lives and in and in our world, wealth has been about consumerism. Like we're, our cultures consume with consuming, acquiring, possessing many things. You just flip on any kind of click on something, don't click on something. It opens up all kinds of pop-up windows of how you can make money quicker and faster. And, you know, and I, I'm just thinking like, oh, I think the people that are making money, the people that are selling those products to make the money. Oh, that's it a little bit. Because I've found about you, there's no quick fix. There's no easy any of it. And, and especially when it comes to God's kingdom, when it comes to wealth, we can struggle with wealth. Whatever, whatever your paycheck looks like or lack of paycheck, wealth becomes, and it, hooks, it, it affects so many different people when you talk about specifically with money. And so God has a view of wealth that's so much different than our own. Now, I, I grew up not with much wealth. My, my mom and dad were working class people. My dad was a custodian at Western Washington University. He did that for many, many years. It was a great job looking back. He had good benefits and everything. It was a, he, he was paid pretty good to be a janitor, but I was kind of bare. My dad was a janitor. Honestly, somebody said, "Where's your dad work? He works at Western. Was he a professor?" Yeah, sure. Why not? Uh, I just that was a little bit. My mom was a beautician, but she she worked in uh, nursing homes. She did that close to fifty years. She did the hair of elderly people, and and and, and so 
they're working class people. We, we had a two bedroom, one bath home. I was an only child, small little home, probably not bigger than any a thousand square feet was this little house that I grew, grew up in. Didn't have a lot. And then I became a pastor and still I'm not actually very wealthy. I, uh, just so you're wondering, I, I, the reason I'm not, I, I don't have a TV show. Okay, and so I'm not a pastor's rich that has a TV show, and so and I don't have the hair for it. I could not do TV for that as well. Now that joke was funnier the first service. People got that, so thank you for the courtesy laugh. But I don't have it. I just never grew up wealthy, and and though I've had opportunities to to act wealthy, I, I we several years ago there was in fact a very generous lady in our church. She was connected to a person that had. VIP tickets to the Paramount Theater to watch The Lion King, which that was incredible in itself, but we had VIP tickets. And so when we got there, see, well, there's a special entrance you go into, the VIP entrance. And you go in there, and literally, I think there was red carpet and the whole bit, and you go in, and, and then we were waiting, and then they had they had little, um, like, was it, how do you say it, horsey d'oeuvres, hoarders, um, Hors d'oeuvres. See, I, I'm not, I don't do ritual. I don't know how to do that. So I have snacks, but they're fancy snacks. Hors d'oeuvres, you know? And, and then I remember my daughter, she's little, and she goes, she comes out, she goes, Dad, Daddy, they, they've got heated toilet seats. Like, you know, it's like, we're just doing fancy here. We were, and I'm looking around, and they're all, everybody's wearing suits and gowns and everything. I'm like, I got my good jeans on. Like, we're just, we're not blending in. And then we got to the performance, and we're overlooking, like, we had the best seats in the house. And then there was like a, a what do they call it? The break? The halftime? What do they call that? Intermission. That's right. Because I, again, I'm not sure how they all do this. And so then it was like dessert and everything. It was, we were living it up. But I found with us, we struggled a little bit because I, I never knew really how to be wealthy or to act wealthy. Let me ask you this question. How rich are you? Some of you are like, oh, that's none of your business, dude. Like, you know, that's, because that does bug me when people ask over the years, like, so how much do you pay for that? How much do you pay for that car? Well, wow, look at this house. How much do you pay for that? Like, it's none of your business, actually, how much I, you know, how much I, how, how much I paid for whatever. But people, we get caught up in people's business that way. Some of you go wealthy. I'm like, how rich? You got to be kidding. I want to give a perspective on a, just on a economic level uh, for all of us here today. Because when we hear the, the word rich or someone's rich, we, we think of that other guy, that other family, those rich people on TV. The reality is we are all very rich. We have so much wealth and we don't realize it. I could go far to say is the large majority of us here are rich compared to the world's standards. If I offered you a job at $37,000 a year, these guys here might go, whoa, that's big money. But try to live on that and live on your family. Some of you are like, "Mm, I don't know if that's that great of money. Uh, if you do make thirty-seven thousand, I'm not going to make you make you raise your hand on this. You make more than thirty-seven thousand dollars a year. Did you know that you make more than ninety-six percent of the world? Think about that. Think about that. You're in the four percent club. If you make more than forty-eight thousand dollars a year, you're in the top one percent of the entire world. Think about that a little bit. Going from rich to super rich based on even our cult our, in our world. I mean, that's pretty amazing. But on a world scale, we, you know, we think of all the problems and poverty. None of us, I don't know if anybody's here needs to figure out how to, you know, get electricity. Uh, I don't know if anybody's here been having to carry water for a couple miles every day, right? We don't, we don't have those kind of problems. But, but I tell you what, we got problems. Sometimes, man, my, my cell phone coverage, whew. It doesn't, it, I get dead spots sometimes. How about you? I do. Oh man, that's a, that's a problem, right? 
my Wi-Fi, certain parts of my house, it, it cuts out sometimes. Man, I ordered something on Amazon Prime. It's supposed to be two days. I paid two-day membership, right? Came in four, okay? These are real problems, real issues. No, they're, they're, what are they? They're rich people problems, right? They're, they're, these are problems that we all face. And I want you to know as you hear all this, because this is where people get nervous. Last service, people get nervous about this when I start talking about it. Is this, is they, I want you to know, I'm not here to tell you you have to take a vow of poverty. Like you, that you got to sell everything. It's not about, we're not going to talk about becoming rich. Just the fact that we're already rich. So it's, it's figuring out how to be rich. Not becoming rich or trying to get rich. It's how to act rich. And what we really, truly have. See, I told you to get quiet. So we're going to talk about it here today. And I have a true statement that I want to share with you. And as we do this, I want you to think, and we're, thinking, we're all talking about kingdom perspective. But here's the, the affirmation that I hope you can make it personal. And it, it is this. It's saying this, I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides. Can you say that with me? I will not trust in riches, but in him who richly provides provides. See, we're rich. Oof. We are so wealthy. And yet, when we begin to look around a little bit, sometimes we don't always feel that way. I have moments in my life of contentment. I have moments in my life like I go, oh my gosh, God, you have blessed me so much. And just the basic needs I have, I don't have to go look for water. I can have electricity anytime I want. I can drive in a car. There's so many things on the basic level the entire world has, right? We have so much. And then all of a sudden, I walk into Costco. And I'm going, oh, maybe I need that. Maybe I need this. We've talked before. We live in the land of Ur. There's someone else that has something more than we have, right? There's someone out there that's better, richer, faster, cuter, sexier, you know, what, smarter, whatever it is. That we live in the land of Ur. And when we live in the land of Ur, this is what happens. We're not content. And when we're not content, we don't have that joy. We don't have that fulfillment in our lives because we just are living for a little bit more. A little bit more ahead. And, and so what happens is we don't, we're not really good at being rich. We're good at maybe acquiring things, but we're not good at just being rich. And I think what I was thinking about trying to be good at being rich is I think it takes practice. It takes, it takes discipline, right? You know, just like, and you see, I don't think money came with an instructional manual, especially for my family. My family lived paycheck to paycheck to paycheck. You talk about investment. It's like, well, we're just trying to pay the bills, okay? There wasn't anything beyond. So it, it wasn't in my DNA at all of looking beyond just the here and now. And it doesn't matter how much you had, it's, it's has everything to do with the attitude in which you, you do it that we're going to look at and having a, a kingdom mindset. But I never got a set of instructions on how to live. I didn't have a set of instructions when I had kids either, right? It was, it was something you learn and acquired. And that's why scripture is helpful. Scripture actually helps us of the issue of the struggle we have of being rich. Not here talking about how to become rich. That's a different seminar you can take, you know, at the hotel that's offering the free thing. You know, you can, you can go to that yourself. I'm talking here today about how do we live 
and being rich and acting like rich people. The Bible has some help with that that we're going to look at here today to discover not just being trying to be rich. It's not about it's about being good at being rich in the kingdom perspective that we're looking at and how God wants to use our life. And in it is this to find some joy in knowing the generosity of God in our life and the riches that we have and how important it is in our life and how God wants us to use it. The, the Apostle Paul writes to a young pastor named Timothy who was pastoring, a, and all bystanders, a, a rich church back in that day. And the first letter in Timothy chapter 6, starting verse 17, says this. That he says this, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant. Timmy, if he has this rich congregation, this group of people, and we know that they're fairly rich by history. He pastored a church in Ephesus. Ephesus was a kind of a, a, a center of commerce in the ancient world. It was in your port. It, it had political, it had religious uh, influence. It was, a, it was the city that was there that Paul's saying, you have influence, Timothy, and your church has influence. There's so much your church can do. This church, this local uh, ecclesia that, that's gathered group of people that God, God wants to use, Timothy, and challenge them. He says even command them to do this. Not, tells them, first of all, not to be arrogant. Now, arrogant means this, is having an inflated sense of self-worth. What was happening is, an arrogant say, I am kind of putting my worth in my network. I, I'm actually, net worth, I'm, I'm, I'm caught up in, and really they were kind of just in some ways being bad at being rich. They didn't realize how much they have. And I think for all of us, we just have to realize that money does things to people. Have you noticed that? Uh, money is a, is a tricky thing, and especially when people acquire it very quickly. And I know a person, my, my mom, I mentioned she was a, a hairdresser. There was a customer that she had for many years. And I remember as a kid, I found out she won $13 million, right? Just like in the, lot, in the Washington State Lottery. Well, that changed that woman, not to the good. In fact, it, this woman died bitter and alone because she thought everybody wanted her money, all her kids and all her grandkids. My mom would go to the, to, to the casino with her because that's where she wanted to go. She had to do something with her money. And my mom would care for her. My mom, my, here's your hairdresser, was like her only friend. And my mom didn't want anything from her, didn't get anything from her. She just wanted to be a friend. That's what the woman needed. But she just, it changed her. I'm not saying that happens to everybody. But, but what happens is it does things to people. You, if you've been around people, like all of a sudden you find out they're really wealthy. Do you ever find out like maybe the guy you're talking to, his jokes are a little bit funnier now? <laughs> you're like, you know, like, like, oh, you know, because that person is a little bit, you look at them differently. And we, there's a trapping and we're all, it doesn't matter how much you have, it can do things to people. So I want to talk about how can we good at, be good at getting rich? And I, and I alluded to it already is this, you need to know our self-worth is not in our net worth. Our self-worth is not to be put in our net worth. Can I, can I remind us that, that it doesn't matter how much we have. We are worth so much more than in, in anything on the material possessions. So, but someone once said this, the real measure of our wealth is, is how much we're worth if we lost all our money right? That's where it comes down to. And Jesus gives us that same perspective of wealth. He tells another wealthy church, the city of, uh, in Laodicea, he tells them this. He says, he tells them, you know, they say, you say, I'm rich, I have acquired wealth and don't need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, 
and naked. Jesus doesn't hold back on the description there, does he? He doesn't hold back. And what is he saying? He says, you are bad at being rich. You're making it all about what's on the outside. It has everything to do what's on the inside. When God told Samuel to appoint a new king after Saul, before David, he looked across and Samuel said these words. He says, the Lord does not see the thing the way you see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the what? Heart. God looks at the heart. God's greatest concern is what's going on inside of us. He looks at our heart filled with humility, not to be arrogant. He wants to see us have generous hearts that are connected with generous hands to turn our self-worth into sacrificial work that he's called us to do. So if you're wondering, if you're feeling valuable by God, and the world's standards, you might go, I don't know if I'm worth a whole lot. No, no. You need to not look any further than the cross. Jesus paid the highest price ever paid. You know what God believes is? You are worth every penny. In fact, every drop of blood that his son died to pay for your salvation. That's how much you are worth. And I am worth. We are rich beyond comprehension. Not because of trusting in our riches, but the one who richly has provided. How easy we can forget and how detrimental it can affect us when we're getting bad at at being rich and how we can be better at it. See, if if you want to be good at being rich, is this, is putting our hope in who, not in what. To put our hope in who, not in what. Paul tells Timothy next, he says this, command those who are rich in the present world not to be arrogant. And then he says this, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain, but to put their hope in God. Let's be clear. Paul is saying in being wealthy, it's not about becoming wealthy. It's, it's being wealthy. But in wealth, there's a slippery slope that's there. And some of you are going, kind of going, oh, man, this message, you know, it's like talking about wealth. Like, I'm not wealthy. It doesn't apply to me. Can I remind us again in our world, the world standard out there, you and I, we're, we're so wealthy. And, and, and if you're living beyond your basic needs, we're wealthy. God has given us so much. And we understand that Paul's warning us that there's a natural inclination that when we acquire more, that we can put our hope in a what and not in him. Now, I'm not saying it's wrong to acquire wealth. Wealth is a, is a great asset that we can have. It We can pay off debt. We can save for the future. We can, we can so much that we can do with our wealth. But if we're putting our wealth in our riches in something, we are missing it. And what Paul's saying, we can live, when our, our wealth is in something, we can find it being in very uncertain times. And it has been in our past. But you might be going right now, man, economy's good, job, you know, lowest unemployment, 3.7, you know, in 50 years or whatever it is. And that's great. And that's wonderful, right? That's awesome. There's more jobs available and the economy's good and everything people are saying. How many know it's secular? It wasn't too long ago, 2008 and the the home mortgage meltdown and and just it collapsed so many so many people in fact we have some friends that that happened to my my father-in-law's really his best friend he uh, became wealthy very fast in real estate he was one of the major realtors in, in lower Puget Sound 
And he acquired wealth very quickly over just a few years. And he built a big house. I remember going to his house. He had, it was just started when people started putting movie theaters in their house. They, people thought that was really cool. He had a yacht. We watched fireworks at Elliott Bay. I mean, you know, cruises every year. I mean, you know, people live that way all the time. But he was really leveraging a lot. Like he was just spending as he's coming in. And, and he really didn't prepare for the future. And when it crashed, he crashed hard. In fact, he he died within just a couple years of, because of health issues and stress-related things and died basically penniless. Living, died a very poor man in his, in his life. It was sad. It was really, really sad. I remember my father-in-law would talk about, he'd talk about how, you know, his friend, and he, he felt sorry for his friend. I thought it was interesting. My, my father you know, he, he was a working-class guy, just like my parents growing up. My wife grew up with working-class parents, and, and he just had a perspective, my father-in-law did, of, of wealth and an understanding of that, but it, how easily it can, it can go away so quickly because we put our hope in something rather than God. And, and Paul tells us the opposite. When we put our hope in God, listen to the outcome. Look at the last part of verse 7. It says, but to put their hope in God, and listen, it says, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. That's powerful. How much, what's, what, how's that, what's that word, everything? What does that mean? Oh, it means everything. That God provides everything for us. When we put our hope in him, and I love this, for our enjoyment. Our enjoyment for pleasure, for satisfaction, for fulfillment, for joy. But it's not in things and quick fixes and quick hits and quick highs and everything. Because that'll all go away. It'll all dissipate. Whatever your addiction, whatever your thing is and whatever you're consuming, it will go away. But he's saying fulfillment in God and what God has. Everything for the enjoyment. It's not here but for really ultimately for forever. Paul reinforces this in 2 Corinthians. He says, so we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Now, how do we look beyond? How do we go beyond in fear of losing or getting? And says, I think this is one final reminder of this. How do we be good at being rich is this. It's not how much you have, but what good you do with what you have. It's not how much you have. Let me remind you of this. It's what good you do with what you have. Jesus tells this incredible description of some people bringing an offering to the temple. And a rich man would bring the offering and he would act like how, you know, pomp and circumstance and look at me, I'm doing this. And everybody's like, wow, that guy's rich and he's so generous. Actually, Jesus is the opposite because he tells of a, a woman, a poor widow, had widow's might. They're the smallest coins you could ever give and she only puts two of them in there. And, and he commends the woman for her giving versus and condemning the man. What he was saying is the man was giving out of excess. It was leftover. He wasn't feeling any of the pain of losing that money. But he says, this woman gave everything. What was he saying? It's not about equal giving. It's about equal sacrifice. And it's so clear. And Paul reinforces this when he tells Timothy to tell the people of this rich church. He says, command them to do, to do good. To be rich in good deeds. And to be generous and willing to share. Paul again commands them. He's like, you need to tell them. They need to know this. This is an urgency that's there. And I would say in our day and age, in our greedy culture that we live in, it's so important to ring the bell and say, oh, can we live this out? Can we be rich? How are we going to be rich? In good deeds. And be generous and willing 
to share. Here's the challenge though. We always rise to the level of income that we're in, don't we? Because some of you are doing pretty good. I'm doing pretty good. And I don't, I don't live in my, my wife and I don't live in this dingy old, you know, 500 square foot apartment with really ugly shag carpet. And it had a funky smell where we used to live. We don't live there anymore. Somehow we decided to get something nicer. And then we got more money. And then we got something nicer. And we got more money. And all of a sudden, oh, wow. And then children are involved and minivans involved. And this grew and this grew. And then every time we moved, the moving truck got bigger and bigger when we moved. That's, it's called life, right? We acquire, we acquire, we acquire. I'm not against that. Here, I'm not telling you and I, we just sell out to a vow of poverty. Because if you sold everything, then you're, de- then you're depending on me to help you. <laughs> I don't want to do that. I mean, we want to help. God's given us what we have so we could, what is it not for ourselves, but to be generous. But there's a tendency of a natural assumption that what we have, it's for our own consumption. And Jesus tells another story of of a rich farmer who hit it really big. And he says this, the ground of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. Here's a rich guy. He's a guy, you know, you might have had one of these years. It was a good year. Got, maybe you got a big promotion. Maybe you got that close on that big deal. You launch a successful product. You open a new store, whatever it is. But it was, for this farmer, it was a bumper crop year. And the farmer asks himself, he goes, oh, he goes, what should I do? I have no place to store my crops. Sounds like a rich guy problem, right? Got so much. I, you know, Aunt Edna gave me, you know, she passed away. And so I've got, you know, I've got the inheritance. I got this raise. I got this bonus. I got the tax refund. I got this money. What am I going to do with it? What do we do? We, we upgrade, right? Add, in, add, add, you know, add on to the house. Or how about a bigger house? Or, you know, college fund. That's important. Take a trip, whatever it is. You know, these are rich guy decisions. Listen to his answer to his wealth. Here he's got all this. He says, he says this. He says, this is what I'll do. I'm going to tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. Do you know those words? You know where those words came from? Just before the flood of the the people were saying that on the earth. The rich man in this story, he tore down his old barns and built new ones. Now, can you blame the guy? It's kind of a smart move. I mean, old barns, I mean, they're hard to keep up, right? They're hard to keep up and they're not big enough. I mean, maybe it's good to build a bigger barn that's more economically friendly. I mean, I'm sure he'll get a tax write-off and it'll be more energy, you know. There's a lot of excuses you can have to build what he's doing. He's acquiring it for himself. And we live, we get caught up in this culture of getting more. It's very American. That's just the problem is that Jesus wasn't American. Verse 20. He said to the man, he says, you fool, this very night, your life will be demanded from you. And then who will get you what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be. Whoever stores up things for themselves, but in this, check this out, not rich toward God. Jesus is saying, if you want to be rich toward God, you don't make it all about yourself. What's the message today? It's not all about us. It's what we have that God wants us to use. And if we don't 
give that way. If we don't, if, 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 if it's about possessing and not generosity, at some point we need to realize it's all going to be a loss. That's what Paul's saying. It's all going to be a loss. It's all going to go away. This guy, there, it, it was all going away. I've, as a pastor, I've done dozens and dozens of memorial services. Not once did I see a hearse pull a U-Haul. Not once. You, you can't take it with you. Some of you are like, you can't take it with you. It's call, the calling to invest in God's kingdom. And what I love about our churches in the many years, so many of you have been sacrificing, giving, and supporting. We're here today because of you. And we're here today because others are invested and they've moved on. They've gone to other churches. They've done their things. They've you know, launched a church in Blaine. There's a lot of people. There's a lot of investment here. But you're here in this present time. And, we're, and I thank you for that. I thank you as we take offerings and collect them or as you give online. It, you, you're getting it. You're, it's not about just keeping the lights on here. It's not not about just doing Sundays after Sunday. It's about planting seeds in the community of Birch Bay and beyond. Some of you are going, well, aren't we building a bigger barn or a better barn or whatever? Well, you come to the 20th and you'll find out why it's a necessity uh, beyond ourselves, why we have to actually do that. But our goal is not to build a bigger building and a fancier building. It has everything to do with reaching our community. That'll be for decades to come. It's not about the possession. It's not about us. It is about God's kingdom and what he's trying to accomplish. And what's beautiful about when we do that is when we combine together and leverage what we have, we do it for eternal purposes. It's pretty amazing. And I guess what, what happens is it leads to the very purposes of it all. Look at Paul says at the end of it about giving away our wealth and being generous. He says this, in this way, they will lay up treasures for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age. So they may take hold of life that is true life. I invite our team to come as we wrap up. And I find that just such a powerful verse. Because what we're investing in is not about here. It's about for eternity. It's about eternity. It's about what God has given us and blessed us with in so much. True life is not filled with our contentment. It is filled with the transferring work of what Jesus is doing and wants to do through us. I mentioned my, my father-in-law and his friend. And it, you know, it was a sad story that happened. But my father-in-law always reminded me of that. He would tell and compare himself with that, that friend. He loved his friend. But he would say, and I think in some ways there's times like, well, wow, wouldn't it be nice to be rich? You know, we'd have that con- I would have that conversation with him. And, but he goes, man, I, I, he can't tell, he, he can't, he can't, you know, as you size up, he says, you know, you, he, but he can't compare to what I have. He goes, I've got some amazing children. He goes, I've got some children that they're in the ministry. My, my, my father-in-law, he was, oh, he's proud. He's proud that our kids in ministry, we have three pastor's families. And on top of that, we have, in our family, we have, we have an educator. A, a, my, my sister-in-law has been in, in public school education for, you know, 20, 30, 30 years. And it's pretty amazing. We got this legacy of a family. And, and, and so I, I want you to know, you know, as things are leaning up, and many of you have been praying uh, for my father and our family, and, uh, but yesterday he drew his last breath. And he passed away. And many of the family were gathered around. And that's the beauty of it. The family was gathered around. And, and when he, you need to know, when he, he, he passed away, he he died a rich man. That's what my, 
I want my life to be, don't you? You can't take it with us. But what we can, we can invest in for eternity, for children and for grandchildren. These wonderful, this wonderful family, more than all the professions and what everybody does, like every single person in my family that I'm part of, this wonderful family, loves Jesus and is about his mission. You can't ask for more to have. As we pray, here's my question for you. How are you going to spend your life? How are you going to spend your life? I want you to bow with me as we pray. And I want you to take inventory. Not how much you have. Not, not, you don't need to look at your bank account right now. Don't look at your, you know, you know, uh, you know, your, your, your retirement plan, your 401k. That's not, you know, future. That, don't put that. Aside. I want you to take an inventory of your heart. It's not about how much you have or you don't have. We already made it point. We're all rich. And world standards, we're all rich. But we're all rich. If you're here, if you're a follower of Jesus, can I remind you how rich you are? That God spared no expense on your behalf by sending the greatest, maybe the greatest sacrifice ever by sending his only blood. You, you are precious and valuable because of that. And because of that, you live in, in this glorious riches of this sal- salvation. We are so rich in faith. And we will be so rich in heaven and all that God has given us and will give us because of his sacrifice. Can I challenge you as you pray? Now it's your turn. Now it's my turn to give back all that God has given us. And we do that by making our lives as a vessel and making our lives as an offering to him. And it's a cost, but it's worth it. Lord, thank you for this time, this opportunity of the many, many lives, Lord, that we get to be a part of to see change as our lives have been changed, as our lives have, we've become rich spiritually and even rich in the economic side of God, you've given us so much. Oh Lord, we, if we're struggling of getting and acquiring, Lord, will you change our heart before you change our actions? Will you make us generous, Lord? Will you change our lives in such a way that we can live generously? Lord, I don't know anybody that's grumpy that's generous. <laughs> Lord, I, I know a lot of people that, that love you and are generous and they're just generous people and they're loving people and we, they can find joy and fulfillment. Lord, may we be that model, Lord to others around us. May we be the people of the next generation. God, I thank you for Don Davis, Lord. Thank you for my father-in-law. Lord, his life, his legacy. He was was never rich economically, but oh, he was rich spiritually. And the legacy that he's now left, Lord, from generation to generation to generation. Oh, Lord, will you use our life the same way, starting right here and right now. The lives that are changed and the lives, Lord, even the lives as we celebrate baptism here in this morning before we wrap up, God, may it just be a, a powerful, powerful reminder of what it's all about. We love you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.